uh, John Cariotis here today on CX Unleashed podcast with Maztec Info Trellis. Again, I am the uh, uh, general manager and vice president of our customer experience practice here at the firm. Today, I'm joined by Dan Jay uh, at Aquifer, who is the CEO and co-founder of the organization. Uh, Dan's here to help provide some strategic, tactical, and, and technical advisory services. Uh, which he has done for a wide range of different marketing technology as well as big data companies. Um, Dan's clients include uh, organizations like uh, AltaScale, ShareThis, Akamai, among many others. Um, prior to co-founding Aquifer, Dan was the founder as well as the CEO of Correlate, uh, which was a leading automated marketing and attribution company, uh, which back in 2004 was purchased by JD Power. Um, as a serial entrepreneur, uh, Dan has led many organizations in the CEO as well as the CTO roles that include uh, Dakota, who was also purchased back in 2007 by AOL, along with uh, Permisius, uh, CMGI, uh, and Engage. Uh, prior to Engage, Dan was the uh, Director of High Performance Computing at Fidelity Investments, and he worked with Epsilon as well as Accenture. Uh, uh, amongst all of Dan's accomplishments, he's also graduated magna cum laude with a BA in astronomy, as well as astrophysics and physics from Harvard University. So, Dan, thank you for joining us today uh, on our podcast. Uh, we're looking to talk a little bit further about first-party data and the cookie apocalypse um, with you. Uh, maybe to kick things off, though, you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, just by way of background that's relevant, I think you've covered it well. One of the um, interesting um, aspects of my experience is that I'm, uh, I used to be credited, I think I'm now blamed as the inventor of behavioral targeting <laughs> back in uh, the, at the dawn of the internet in 1995 when we founded Engage, uh, where we were the first company to do uh, behavior-based um, digital advertising data um, targeting and management. Um, and one of the interesting things that came out of that is right at the beginning, actually uh, coming out of work I did at Fidelity, we actually had a privacy angle or slant on it right from the very beginning. So I've also been very involved with privacy technologies, standards, policies. I was an advisor to the Federal Trade Commission on online uh, policies and online privacy and security. Um, and co-authored a lot of standards and helped launch a few companies like Evidon, Ghostery, um, the NAI, the DAA, different organizations that are heavily uh, uh, involved or, or central to how we deal with uh, data protection and, and uh, privacy and technology. That's very impressive. Uh, how about uh, when you're not building and scaling companies, uh, what are the kind of things that you like to do outside of your professional uh, responsibilities? Well, I have to say my number one passion is uh, skiing. I, I dabble in, in music composition a little bit as well, but um, I think the most, um, the most probably uh, uh, differentiating aspect of my skiing is that I'm almost done with the skier's version of the of the seven peaks, which is to ski the highest ski lift on six continents. And if it ever snows in Morocco again with global warming, um, then I'll be done. Get there as well. Very cool. Very cool. I am uh, recording uh, today's discussion uh, uh, from New Mexico, where I'm looking at the peaks of Taos in the background. It's a beautiful ski area. 
Uh, wonderful. So let me ask you this. Where did the idea of, of Aquifer come from uh, as you started that organization? Well, Aquifer really came out of uh, what we were doing at Alta Scale, uh, where I was an advisor, and we were helping some of the largest ad tech and martech companies deal with um, managing their big data problems. And what we saw is that most of these companies were solving the same sets of canonical problems, ranging from data collection identification to specifically how do you take massive volumes of time series data or event data and collate it by some sort of longitudinal or customer identifier or proxy for an identifier, and then make that actionable for either real-time uses or for um, important tactical and strategic analytic uses. And so we saw that uh, in some cases, companies were spending 80% of their, of their CapEx on um, you know their 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 uh, their, their capital on uh, build the R and D to build these capabilities, and in many cases they were um, just building the same capabilities that two thousand competitors had. Hmm. Uh, that this was table stakes, and and I'm I'm drawn back to the the the, the famous. Um, uh, uh, metaphor or analogy by uh, Warren Buffett, which is that just that because it's hard, it's not valuable. And, and we say just because it's hard and necessary, it's not valuable because if all your competitors had to do it too, then um, you're really not building anything that's differentiated. So um, in many ways, Aquifer grew out of a desire to help companies focus their um, um, their capital on things that created enterprise value and that table stakes, no matter how hard and necessary, typically don't increase enterprise value for a SaaS startup or a data company. Hmm. Very interesting and very true. I've seen that with that same scenario play out over and over for different clients of our own. So um, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, that background. Um, you know, in, in the past, I've heard you talk about first-party data marketing architecture. Um, would you mind just double-clicking on that a little bit further and, and explain what you mean by that? Sure. This is a concept um, that uh, we started to develop, um, you know, out of some of the work we were doing adjunct to, to AltaScale with some of our clients. And the, the concept here was this idea that in big data, we want to um, bring uh, um, the, uh, the 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 data to the to the uh, to the compute resources, if you will, and in a in a similar way, in marketing, we've been talking about bringing applications to the data. It's, it's a it's kind of a riff on some of these big data metaphors, but at a high level, it's around that we have a confluence right now of companies that um, want to take back control of their data. They want to um, um, effectively uh, become independent of the intermediaries who dominate um, the exchange of, of, of data and interactions with consumers and take back control of that. That's partly driven for strategic reasons, partly because of privacy 
and regulatory reasons and changes in the browsers, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Um, and if we combine all of these things, the idea that um, having highly distributed data means loss of control for the company, um, the ability to protect, use, protect access and use of their data um, as they move on into this sort of new world we're moving into, combined with some fairly radical changes in cloud technology um, that are enabling um, easier adoption of technologies to, to help engage and use their data with consumers. All of these things together actually inform this um, data-centric marketing architecture. Um, in many ways, I, I describe it as different facets of the same gem or potentially the metaphor of the blind men and the elephant that, you know, they all look at the, 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 the trunk is a snake or the leg is a tree trunk. But we actually think all of these combine into this architecture that um, combines aspects of taking back your data, first party uh, focus on, um, on your interactions with the consumer and identity. Um, how do you deal with cookie apocalypse, adoption of serverless cloud technologies, um, all, governance, all of these things together, we believe are all parts of that multifaceted uh, gem. Yeah, very interesting. So it, maybe just add a little bit more color to that and, and, and why is it that you believe that this is going to be the future of, of how organizations need to operate? Um, the number one reason is agility that um, if you have an ecosystem that looks like your lower intestines where you know data is flowing through all of these different pipes to your ESP, your, your, uh, your attribution provider, your DSP, your DMP, et cetera, et cetera, um, you're going, your CMP is managing privacy governance. You, um, basically, you have a solution that's going to be very brittle that um, every time you try to make a change, you're going to find out that there's 20 other things that have to change as well. And so one of the biggest advantages of this data-centric marketing architecture is putting the, the brand and the marketer back at the center of the universe and having control um, over um, how they um, integrate, but more particularly how they apply and use their data assets. And again, without the ability to make changes without necessarily have to have to every time figure out the domino effect on 20 other systems. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, what organizations then, I mean, the complexity of that is, you know, can be deep and, and vast. How, how should companies uh, think about starting an initiative, you know, in this particular space? Well, we understood that challenge very well, which is one of the reasons why we we, we built um, our platform to be very easy to deploy and to get started with, you know, on, for example, as an adjunct basis. So uh, we don't believe that the companies who are going to see the biggest value are going to, you know, just move, wake up one day and move over to this new architecture. It's going to have to be a stepwise process where you're going to look at some function or some problem like, um, how do I um, build a more robust first-party identity spine for my business? 
or how do I find a better way to integrate upper funnel and lower of funnel activities for better attribution? Whatever, whatever specific application use case they, 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 they start with, it's very easy to get started with this because of the, the focus on making this frictionless for the brand through our investment in serverless technologies. So the way we see people adopting this is that they'll take an initial business problem or gap, tackle that ideally with partners like, like uh, Mass Tech, who they trust and rely on already um, to, uh, to, to solve that initial problem, but then discover that it's very easy to plug in additional application solutions once you start to um, take advantage of the architecture. Got it. Who who typically are the, the the personas that you you're you're in conversations with around these initiatives? Well, that's one of the interesting things about our business model is that um, we do see this data centric marketing architecture as being revolutionary versus evolutionary. That it is it, it does require a different way of thinking about. Um, how you manage these processes than through traditional CDPs or DMPs, et cetera. But we also recognize that this isn't something, again, you don't just flip the switch. So our approach has been to work through partners who are trusted and experienced who can then help um, those brands start on this journey. Um, so um, typically we're actually dealing with the CTO or the CEO or the chief product officer of systems integrators, SaaS solutions companies, uh, data companies, managed service providers, people who are already trusted by the brands. And so we're a white label platform that helps those solutions providers um, bring this architecture to the market. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Are you seeing then, or where does this intersect uh, that you would see with those same kinds of personas in, in, in organizations in their digital transformation? Well, very often we're brought into folks who are, you know, either they're, they're specifically chartered with digital transformation. Right. Um, it could be folks in charge of the digital marketing function. It mm -hmm. could be people who are looking at how do they uh, recognize the architectural issues with the current MarTech ecosystem or MadTech ecosystem and are trying to find ways to hedge against that or um, uh, improve the ability to, to, make, um, to make changes. So I would say that the, the typical brand representatives that are involved tend to be people from um, you know, the sort of digital marketing strategy area. Um, chief data officers very often are, are key um, but it could also be sort of the chief technical resource within the marketing organization. Got it. Very, very interesting. Uh, you know, the, the, the concepts around obviously first party data and the marketing architecture associated with that are, uh, as you've laid out, are, are going to be instrumental in, in setting up, you know, organizational success in, in marketing efforts and and overall managing the customer expectations and experience, you know, as we continue through 2022 and beyond. Uh, one of the other topics, though, that I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into together um, is really uh, surrounding and surviving the, the cookie apocalypse. Um, maybe for, for, for the benefit of the listeners, would you mind defining how you perceive and see what the cookie apocalypse is? Sure. So the, the cookie apocalypse is 
really the 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 death of the the basis for our current ad tech and and martech ecosystem for targeting and attribution and 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 other functions it's specifically um going to be when chrome um finally disables third-party cookies. Now, there's a bunch of nuances on that in terms of what disabling third-party cookies mean, but specifically, this is the technology that allows you to tie activity about browsers across websites. Um, And that's key because in paid media, you're obviously running your advertising on some publisher's site, um, but it's on behalf of a brand um, generally supported by um, a bunch of infomediaries. And the way they all are able to sort of marshal and orchestrate activities for that browser is through a common um, um, identifier. Now we've, we've lived through the, 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 um, you know, the, uh, the, the foreshadowing of the cookie apocalypse for years with Safari. Um, having disabled third-party cookies pretty much, you know, from from their beginning, um, and then increasingly restricting the use of cookies through their ITP technology. So we we kind of know what what breaks and what has to be replaced, um, or what has to or what we have to work around. Um, but the key thing is because of Chrome's dominant market share, um, when Google makes this change right now sometime in 2023 um that's when you know i think most people would call that cookie apocalypse is going to start going to start yeah so preparing for that now you know is uh is going to help organizations be more uh uh, nimbler and stronger you know as they're navigating through the impacts that they may have on on their 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 overall digital advertising um, how, exactly. How- and, and, and navigating that is really the key thing. I think, you know, there's been a long-term recognition, largely driven by Safari, um, of the importance of, of having robust first-party identity. Uh-huh. But that's still not a simple matter. And that still leaves some big gaps in terms of um, how marketers deal with, you know, fundamental needs like figuring out multi-touch attribution. Um, yes, in terms of targeting efficiency, the ability to do uh, behavioral targeting or other types of audience-based targeting, that will be curtailed in many contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll probably have some inadvertent cases where consumers will be increasingly identified and forced to identify themselves uh-huh. to have access to content um, as one of the ways that that gets addressed. But the I think the most important thing from our perspective comes back to this concept of agility, which is this remains a rapidly changing um, and evolving ecosystem. And that's not going to change anytime soon. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the two best ways for marketers to create an anchor to windward um, against these changes are going to be, you know, number one, having an approach that's agile that can easily be adapted and evolved and two having a very very strong core 
basis in first party data and identity that they can leverage through whatever the um, the patchwork of solutions uh, provides. Got it. No, that's that's an. I mean, that is definitely going to impact advertising for sure. And advertisers and the way that you're seeing things through your browsers, your sites, et cetera, that you're going through. So uh, that also has to impact customer engagement and marketing in general. You have any other insight on that? On on the way customers will engage and marketing efforts in general are going to be impacted. Yeah, there's there's several aspects of this. You know, one is that. Um, we're, we're going to see more intrusion into the seamless experience for consumers. So paywalls, <coughs> we think that we see the paywalls now. The paywalls are just going um, to continue to be built uh, more, more um, distributed more widely and have higher walls, if you will. Um, we will see um, a number of additional techniques to try to find ways to stitch um, identity across particularly affiliates. So we'll see uh, potentially again, some of the offers and promotions, you know, to um, increasingly incentivize consumers to participate in a variety of different identity frameworks. Um, we'll see marketers struggle to, again, across channels and even within fragmented channels like web, um, have to find a way to to build lingua francas to to stitch things together again to figure out you know for example which media investments are worthwhile how to do that that budget allocation how to figure out you know which which messaging is more effective and I think we're also going to see um, I mean candidly I think we're going to see some reduction in efficiencies hmm. um, I don't know if it'll affect GDP but. Um, I think that certainly targeting efficiency um, will uh, will be impacted, and uh, we will also see um, you know the ability to do things like retargeting potentially be impacted. That's that's one of the interesting areas where we think there's a lot of opportunity for innovation. We've built some technologies that um, I think will work really well in the first party architecture to helping uh, marketers preserve some of their most important capabilities post-cookie apocalypse. And that really is that ability to reach that in-market consumer who's already engaged with your brand right, right, and right. make sure you get the right messaging and content in front of them. And that will be top of mind, I think, for, for, for many CMOs. The marketing challenge of that CMO is going to be increasingly more difficult as if it wasn't already. So as a result of this. So. Very cool. Well, I appreciate the, uh, the, 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 the insights that you're providing here as well. Is there any, um, any, any other final parting comments that you might want to uh, advise a, a CMO or the marketing buying center, the technology uh, professionals that are supporting our marketing efforts for our clients? Well, I think number one, it, it just, just to reinforce, it's about making sure that you have the most robust and comprehensive and reliable uh, first-party data as the as that anchor for everything that you're doing through digital channels. Second of all, is to have a strategy that allows you to, in a nimble and agile way, uh, plug in and potentially unplug different solutions for different um, channels and strategies. So making sure you're architected for agility 
right. and that you have control over your destiny. If you're dependent on a party who's tied into one particular, you know, approach or sandbox or methodology, you may not be able to um, come up with a with the most effective solution for uh, solving some of these problems. And and just to lay one out there, we we talk a lot in the last five years about multi-touch attribution. And it's so important because if you don't have a handle on it, you really don't know which levers to pull. You don't know how to, um, you know, uh, solve today's version of the Wanamaker question, right? Mm -hmm. The 50% of my advertising is wasted. I don't know which, which 50%. Today's version of that really is, well, what happens if I turn this off and do I have to turn it off to find out what happens? Um, Cause that could have, you know, some pretty big right. impacts. Right. So um, again, I think that focusing on how do you solve that and leaving yourself the ability to uh, to lean into some of the newer techniques, particularly everything, you know, we, we see solutions, interestingly enough, coming out of blockchain, which gets a lot of hype, but there are actually some interesting applications there. Um, secure multi-party computation, um, which is the ability to share and leverage information in encrypted fashion without ever decrypting it. Those technologies are rapidly evolving and very, very important, um, as well as solutions that involve, you know, increasing use of innovative machine learning technologies um, to, uh, to build robust simulations and predictions of, of what the impact of these decisions will be. So again, um, you know, a lot of buzzwords, a lot of hype around these, but I think the important thing is to have a very good lens um, on how to evaluate the use and of, of these technologies to drive real business value. And second of all, making sure you're, you've um, stacked the deck so you're ready to take advantage of them. That's outstanding advice. Now, I appreciate it. Many clients are going to, and organizations out there are, are going to be and are, are you know going to continue to have to wrestle with uh, providing these right solutions. So I, uh, your your insights are incredibly valuable not only to our client base that will be listening and um, but others obviously as well. So uh, Dan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, we're looking forward to uh, um, working with you and looking and 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 tackling these problems of the cookie apocalypse that these organizations are are part of. So thank you very much. Terrific. Thanks for, for having me today.